Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A warning that the following show contains discussions around themes of rape and sexual abuse. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash as we count down to Halloween with a month of King versus King. So on Monday, we watched James Khan finally drag himself out of bed, the lazy sod. And today, we're enjoying a health and safety video on the dangers of sexy roleplay. Because in this day and age, as we all become more open-minded about kinky bed room fun, it's worth remembering that your corpse could be eaten by a dog. From 2018, it's Gerald's Game. This is going to be good for us, Jess. Really good. Gerald? What? What's happening? Gerald! Five hours you've wasted screaming for neighbors that are half a mile away if they're even here yet. How long do you think someone lives without water? That will not work. <laughs> you can pull to your wrists break. You're not getting out of those cups. Not real. You're not real. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Wipe that stupid grin off your face, uncuff me, and stop calling yourself Daddy. Chris, I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. <laughs> Hi, Chris. How are you both? All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I did um and R about whether saying that because as I wrote it, I then did visualise you standing over me as I was cuffed to a bed, which is you an image. You wish. <laughs> <laughs> Again. I hadn't finished, which is an image I found incredibly arousing. <laughs> uh, so, very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, if you'd be kind enough to do so, that'd be great on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could leave us a rating and review, that'd be amazing. And if you do leave us a review, it might be read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a little bit like this. Uh, this review is entitled The Love Child of Barry Norman and SMTV Live. <laughs> okay. okay. I mean, I get, bo- good, yeah. I get both those references. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it's quite long. It's from LJR Canilis. I won't read it all, but uh, they say that they came upon this podcast on Christmas Eve last year while wrapping Aww. presents. Merry Christmas. Uh, and they say lots of lovely things about the podcast. I won't say them all, but at the end, they say this podcast has a little 
slice of post Bucks Fizz Christmas mornings in every episode. Oh, that's lovely. I thought you'd like that. I do. <laughs> it's magical. And they finish by saying, like my five-year-old says, infinity stars out of five. No, oh, that's perfect. I just hope that mean doesn't mean your five-year-old is listening. <laughs> Isn't it true? There's a magical like 20 minutes on Christmas morning where you've just had Bucks Fizz and nothing to eat. And you're like, Today is going to be an amazing day. Yeah, and then, and then six hours later, <laughs> yeah. you're yeah. crying over Pictionary as doors yeah. are slammed. Which as you go into the kitchen, you're like, fuck, there's a lot to do. Mm. We should record a, a, we should meet up on Christmas Day and just, <laughs> just do one of these. <laughs> to get out of the house. Yeah. I'd love to stay, kids, but <laughs> I've got a podcast. It's work. <laughs> oh. I mean, we do see enough of each other, though. <laughs> I mean, it's a lovely idea, but... <laughs> so, these were Chris's choices this week. Misery versus Gerald's Game. Why, Chris? I don't know. <laughs> Great, I'll fill in for you. This October, we count down to Halloween as we are celebrating the Master of Horror as we pit Stephen King adaptation against Stephen King adaptation. It's King versus King. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's a great idea. Love this idea. Loving this month so far, apart from the nightmares. So on Monday, Vicky showed us how she'll, she'll deal with writers who refuse to take notes from her, which means today, I want to play a game with you. Let me take you on a journey. Jesse and Gerald, who already have problems because there's too much ja going on in both their names, decide to save their failing marriage with a trip to their remote summer home. Just fine food, sea air, and Gerald's rape fantasies. Yup, turns out Viagra popping Gerald only gets turned on by cuffing his wife to a bed, forcing her to scream for help, and calling himself Daddy. All of which is weird, but fine if Jesse was into it. However, she ain't, especially the daddy bit, for very good reasons. Anyway, just as you're saying no means no, Gerald carps it. And while he's slowly digested in the belly of a dog, Jesse, still handcuffed to the bed, must endure hallucinations of her consciousness. You know, in the Yosemite Sam Looney Tunes video where an angel and devil appear on his shoulders? It's that. Before eventually, Jessie frees herself by mutilating her hand and then bursting into a courtroom to shout at a mentally challenged man. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Gerald's Game. So, Gerald's Game. Yeah! <laughs> what a naughty little bastard this is! <laughs> uh, thanks for giving this one to me. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> this was a, this was a, this was another very quick answer from Victoria Crompton when yeah. uh, this came up. She was like, "I'll do misery. <laughs> I will do misery." <laughs> Last week didn't want to research The Shining. This week wanted to steal or steal well clear. No, I feel equipped to deal with it. It's just uh, I I feel bad now. Do you feel uncomfortable? No, <laughs> okay. I feel fine. I feel fine, and uh, you know. We're a team. Yeah. We're a team, so... I've got you. You know, where, whenever my flippancy gets too much, then you can haul me back into line and uh, tell me your thoughts. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, let me start by saying, because this will make you feel better, because I'm not going to be like like pointing the finger kind of thing because okay. oh, this film why right? would you be pointing the finger well, so at either say, of us we say some stupid stuff sometimes oh right okay <laughs> this film right great start yeah yep. that's, that's the right that's the true answer um, honestly I got whiplash between like my own outrage for her which you can imagine like how dare he but then sympathy for him because 
in a marriage, you know, she's got a very big secret that she hasn't told him. In a marriage, is that all right? In a marriage, not really. And then I was despair for her. And then my internalised misogyny, like, why can't... But then I was like to her, like, why can't you just relax and get into it, Jesse? Like, for fuck's sake, it's yeah. just handcuffs. Like, I, I mean, we are jumping ahead here, but you've got to imagine that yeah. if he knew her story... Daddy probably wouldn't have been the name he gave himself. Yes. So I was just back and forth so much. That opening sort of 20 minutes, you know, she does make him feel ridiculous, but he is trying to save their marriage. And what are you supposed to do? So I just went back and forth a lot. It was brilliant. Yeah, it's how he tries to save the marriage, though. But look, how have have you seen it before? What your history with this movie? We've already got quite far into this. I hadn't seen it before. It has caught my eye on Netflix a few times, but I knew we'd do it in the podcast, so I was waiting. All right, Chris. Well, I'm one of the lucky, unlucky few people who got to see this uh, in a cinema because this is a Netflix movie, but it screened at Fantastic Fest that I attended in Austin. Actually, I was there to review it. Um, and it is one of the most memorable screenings I've ever attended. I can remember where I was sitting, who I was sitting around, just the reactions from the audience and then the discussions in the foyer afterwards. You know, people were standing around talking for ages about it. I, and I remember two of the main conversations aren't maybe what you're expecting. One of them that kept I kept hearing people saying is that, that J- the JFK guy has incredible abs. <laughs> because... He's, I mean, he was known as JFK for about 10 years after he did that film. He still looks like him. Um, and his abs were remarkable. Mm. But And it also made a few of us feel like we could never watch E.T. again, which yeah. is upsetting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that to me. Uh, but the main conversation was really about that scene, which we'll get to when we're talking about the film. Sure. Uh, but the big moment towards the end of the movie. Um, so, yes, I, I had a very memorable day watching that with an audience and it felt like it was meant to be watched with an audience. It really did from from the reactions. Uh, but I also then skin read the book um, because I had to write a review and I wanted to know as much as I could. All right. All right. It's I'm, I'm sort of with you and I watched it on my own. I watched it on Netflix, but I do remember exactly where I was when I watched it, which I think is always a testament to a great film. If you can say... I was there. I know where I was. I was in Los Angeles. It was the Oscars and I wanted to detach from watching all the Oscar screeners. And so I put this on and I, I really enjoyed it. I was really, really gripped by this movie. Um, well, I, yeah, I say enjoyed it. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word because it is hard going mm. at some points, but I certainly remembered it. Would you like to know a bit about it? Yes. Okay, so it is based on a book that many people for a very long time considered unfilmable. You haven't read it, V? No. You've skim read it? Mm. Uh, Okay, I'll explain my story. So I started reading it on holiday with my parents years and years ago in the back of the car. And I must have read about the first 10 pages and... I had to stop reading it because it felt, and the only thing I can equate it to is it felt like I was reading pornography in the car with my folks because it's so graphic. And I remember it's the use of the word panties that Stephen (laughs) King uses. And I don't know whether it's because of this book. I can't remember a time before then where I'd gone, panties creeps me out. But Mm. reading the word panties is a creepy word. It's really creepy for us. We don't say that as British people. Pants, yes. Pants, oh, yes. Yeah. Knickers, yes. Great. Oh, panties, yeah. No. Yeah, love pants, but panties. Panties. Not, not nice. Because it nice. sounds like for children. So Gerald dies 10 pages in, and it's a very graphic scene, and I stopped reading at that point. I'm going to talk about how Gerald dies, because if my memory serves me correctly, it is very different in the book to what happens in the film, but we'll get to that. 
So, director Mike Flanagan, uh, he managed to make it through the whole book. Uh, he said <laughs> before its release in 2017, this is an interview he did uh, just before the film came out, I'd wanted to make this story since I was 19. I'm a Stephen King fanatic. When I was in college, I read the book and I thought it was amazing but unfilmable. Half my life, I've been trying to make this movie. So the book's considered unfilmable because, as I said, Gerald dies on page 10 and the rest of the whole book takes place as a stream of consciousness in Jesse's head. So what Mike Flanagan and his co-writer Jeff Howard, who's worked with him on loads and loads of his projects in some capacity, the other Ouija, Oranges of Evil, Oculus, most recently the brilliant Midnight Mass, which I keep going on about, is very, very good. So they came up with this idea of keeping Gerald in the movie by her hallucinating him and basically, as Mike Flanagan says, taking the inner monologue and making it an outer monologue, full stop, it was really hard. So we get this idea of Jessie conversing with this version of herself and Gerald. Um, Casting-wise, Stephen King was the one who suggested Bruce Greenwood uh, mm. for the part of Gerald. Uh, apparently, Bruce Greenwood had starred in a musical. Now, I hadn't heard of this musical that Stephen King was involved in uh, called Ghost Brothers of Darkland County. Know it? Never heard of it. No. I hadn't either. <laughs> so I did a little bit of reading around it. Uh, Stephen King produced and wrote it. And I, I found a review in Esquire magazine from 2017. And it says this. Musicals aren't usually a guy thing. This one, though, is not only tolerable, it's good. It may be the first ever musical written by men for men. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> How much can you write in one sentence that you then have to unpack as a reader? <laughs> Bloody hell, there's a lot in there. Yeah, yeah so 2007, hey? Long time ago. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, of Carla, now It's Carla Gugino. Am I right? That's the pronunciation I've gone for. Uh, yeah, Gugino. That's what I was Gugino. Saying. Right, great. Carla Gugino. Um he says, after we found Bruce, Carla was a lot harder to find because either the part would be irresistible to an actor or put them off. We went through a lot of ideas that didn't pan out because the part was so intense and vulnerable. And I think when you get to watch that, watch the movie, that is completely true. Mm -hmm. And it's quite interesting that on every day, they always shot Carla Gugino wanted to shoot her as Jessie too, mm. let's call her, where she was all made up and in the position of power before she then, you know, had all the makeup taken off and all the dried blood put over and et cetera, et cetera, on the bed. So she liked to start the day as Jessie too. So uh, Gugino would uh, would go on to work with Flanagan on Haunting of Hill House, Blind Manor, and has a cameo in Midnight Mass. Stephen King is a fan of this movie. Uh, he says uh, back in uh, back in 2017, Flanagan said he hadn't met King, which I'm sure must have changed now because of Doctor Sleep and everything. But he then said, I've not met him. I've never even spoken to him. I would love to. We emailed after he saw the movie. And that was one of my bigger fanboy moments. He loved the film. I printed his email out and framed it and put it on the living room wall. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? You would. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. Uh, so Trevor Macy, the film's producer, says of Stephen King, he was amazingly supportive. We sent him a rough cut and he immediately tweeted how great it was. Sending stuff to him is a little nerve wracking, of course. Obviously, he's abreast of everything you do along the way. You show him this script. He's very involved with all the adaptation of his work. He takes a very hands-on approach, which is something I really appreciate. So Stephen King, very involved in this and uh, does love it. He, uh, Mike Flanagan says, because obviously you mentioned this, Chris, about seeing it in the cinema. 
Uh, mm. And you are one of the few people to see it in the cinema. It was mm. a Netflix so said, movie. So I said that. That's why you said that. Yeah, yeah, it's fact. It's out there. It's a cold, hard fact right now. Uh, but Mike Flanagan says, I'll always lament not having a theatrical release, but Netflix is part of a wave that's changing how we watch things. It's really cool to be part of that. A theatrical release is great, but no one in their right mind would have let us make this movie for theatres. Which I think, Inside that sort of semi-joke is a real truth about the fact that Netflix does serve a very good purpose in the fact that movies that studios would go, no, I don't, I just don't see the commercial potential in this. They will actually stump up the bucks for, which is a good thing. So uh, when asked about uh, being a male director telling this particular story. Uh, Mike Flanagan told GQ in 2017, Carla made a huge difference in that. I definitely consider Carla as much of an author of this movie as I am. I do not have the female experience. I don't. And I strive to understand it, but I'll never truly <coughs> be able to. I don't think any men will really. Working on this film meant looking at uncomfortable things about myself and my world and about my culture and my society. If we can do that for anyone watching... I think it's been a successful venture from my perspective. Good. It's a good answer. It is a good mm -hmm. answer. It is a good answer. I feel the same. It made me reassess a lot of things that I assume as well. Really? I, yeah, you don't get a pass just because you're a woman. Like, have internalised guilt and shame and whatever else. Mm. And assumptions. Mm. And don't speak up when you might want to and all the rest of it. Mm. And yeah, you know, I genuinely, at that point, so I was like, Jesus, Jesse, just <laughs> what is the big deal? Honestly. <laughs> I know. Sorry, what? <laughs> wow. I know. <laughs> Let's go back to Mike Flanagan's answer. Let's see more thought through. I mean, I don't know if he was prepped beforehand. Uh, <laughs> possibly. Possibly. But that was a really nice answer there. <laughs> All right, then. So uh, let's go through this film. Uh, classic Flanagan opening shot, uh, everyday things shot from above. Jesse and Gerald are packing. She carefully places her lovely nighty on the bed. <laughs> it's not a nighty. What is it then? It's a slip. Okay. You don't sleep in it. You don't? No. What's the difference between a slip and a nighty? A slip you don't sleep in. Right. No, actually, a slip, I think, is to go under your clothes. It was. That was the thing, to stop your dress from riding up. Okay. But I don't think anyone wears them anymore because we don't make dresses out of shit material like that anymore. Okay. A nighty's a big comfy thing, isn't it? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. This is, this is, I'm on a she learning curve. She said a sexy slip. He says, I love that slip. If right, he said, right, right. I love that nighty, it would be horrible. Well, as as Mike Flanagan says, you know, if, if he can make people like me... Uh, Question things about my world <laughs> and my knowledge. Right, I'll tell you this. If Nettie says, go and buy me a nighty, do <laughs> not bring that back. Right, OK. <laughs> I guess the thing I took from seeing it is you immediately work out that Jesse and Gerald are in different places sure. because it's not a sexy slip particularly. It's quite classy. Yes, Because it's long. And yeah. if you are going away for a, a dirty yeah. weekend, yeah. you'd probably think of something a little more Well, it's pinky. quite um, bridal because mm. it's white and it's quite virginal in that way and things like mm. that. It's not. Uh, naughty, particularly. And you cut that against Gerald slipping some uh, actual handcuffs, industrial strength handcuffs <laughs> into his bag, and you're like, yeah, these two are yeah. not on the same page. Which is great because this this idea of them not being the same page is the sort of slow burn for this whole start of the movie. Like yeah. when we get to uh, we we get to the car, it's a similar thing. But the handcuffs really brought back memories. I think a lot of the covers of the book had the handcuffs on, but the one I had was Gerald's game handcuffed to the K and G of Stephen King's name. Oh, cool. And it just sort oh, of suspended there. 
Terrible memories of that book. Um, so they're in the car. She's enjoying the view because she's a good person who likes nature and views <laughs> and, and dogs. And dogs. <laughs> Looking out of the window and celebrating the world around her. Gerald's already trying to get sexy. He's got his hand on her thigh. She bats it away. And now we are very certain they are not in the same headspace. Yeah. Different approaches to what this weekend is. Question. If you are already in quite an awkward place in your marriage slash relationship, things aren't great, there's an uncomfortable atmosphere between the two of you, does a filthy weekend away ever serve to solve that? Because to me, sex can already be quite awkward at times. And I just think if you're not actually comfortable with each other anyway, surely the awkwardness is just accentuated. I just, I can't see the logic in going, let's go uh, have a little bit of sexy time. Yeah, but don't you think, I was going to say, she thinks she's going for a romantic, you know, weekend away in a cabin. He's the one that it's all about the sex. Mm -hmm. I think she's going to be, I think she thinks this is going to be a much more. No, that's not true. That's, that's, that's not true because when he brings out the handcuffs, she actually says, oh, I thought they'd be more playful and fluffy. Ah. Yeah. So she yeah. knows that something like this is. She knows they're right, going yeah, to yeah. try and fix their sex life because that has been the problem with their marriage. Yeah, well, it's it's not the problem; it's the symptom, isn't it, of the problem? Right, like, I suppose. Um, what was I going to say? I think isn't it just that he's suggested this weekend away? I get the sense that it's he's driving that. She doesn't want to say no because if you say no, then you're admitting that there are real problems because you won't spend a weekend in the same space together. Mm. So she said yes, mm. thinking that it will be okay, like they'll get through it, kind of thing. I'm sort of thinking about it more objectively. Like as, okay. an, as an idea for any couple, it seems to make no sense to me. I've, I never, know. I've never tried it. I've never tried fixing an argument with a dirty weekend away. So I can't tell you. But would you? Probably not. No. Buy some nice flowers. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. No, it makes sense to me. Sorry, it does. Without being lascivious, to try and reconnect in a way that you may have forgotten how to do. He is using a sledgehammer to crack a nut kind of thing because he's like, if we're going to do it, we're going to get these handcuffs and we're going to go nuts. What she probably wants is just to reconnect by having sex. Mm. And she's probably not, she, well, she definitely isn't in the same headspace as him. But it makes sense to me that to try and bring that physical closeness back, you would, you would do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I just I've never tried sexy role play. I'm happy to hold my hands up and say that. I've just it's never it's not something that like, I, I I'm sure it works, and I'm not saying it doesn't work. And I mean, if you're into it, do it. Yeah. But I would only ever consider doing it if you're in a very happy place in the first fucking. It's place. very risky <laughs> if you're not. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, we meet the dog, uh, which Gerald nearly crashes into. Jesse cares about the dog. Gerald doesn't. Jesse's great. Gerald isn't. <laughs> okay. Pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, pretty simple. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I liked it that, well, we'll get into it, but when the dog eventually tries to turn on her, I was like, you, you thought you had this beast tamed. Fair, but fair. You, <laughs> but you yeah, don't. That is fair. Uh, Jesse does say it's starving, something which will prove to be more true than you could ever imagine. <laughs> so we get to the house, another beautiful Mike Flanagan classic shot, the long tracking shot where Jesse takes a walk down to the beach. I think this, as she's looking out across the beach, coupled with the car window, it just basically serves to say, Jessie's a much more sensitive person yeah. than Gerald. Yeah. She is, you know, I, I don't want to say a good, a better person than Gerald, but I think that's what it's there to say. She's like, she likes the world around her. She he, like, to... he, can't get, he can't wait to get started, basically. Yeah, he's not thinking with his head. 
no. at this point. No. He's got his whole weekend of sex fun planned and he's like, let's just mm. get on with it, mm. which is kind of not the point. Like she, What I was saying was, what's that film, I forgot the name of it, with Michelle Williams and Ryan Gosling where they're a couple. And Not you Blue see, Valentine. Yeah, Blue Valentine. So there's a scene in that where they're going to go away for the weekend to fix their relationship and he takes her to this really like um, like sex-themed motel thing mm. and it doesn't work. And it's like, it's so obvious that it isn't going to work. Like they've Not that they're past that point, but like you said, they're not in a strong enough place to have fun with it. Like she just wants to go away somewhere nice and yes, have sex, but not in that sort of a fun, tricky sort of way. Yeah. Whereas Gerald is very much all about that. Like he will just, he just thinks if they just go at it, it will fix everything. Mm. There was a, a famous motel. I think it's it's somewhere on the Pacific Coast Highway called the Madonna Inn. Have you ever heard of it? It's basically every room is themed. And we were doing this road trip for work up there, filming along the Pacific Coast Highway for Sky. And we stayed at the Madonna Inn. And for some reason, they gave me the sexy room. Okay. Even though I was on my own. Right. And it just felt, I felt like I was being laughed at. Because... <laughs> I sort of got there and they went, you've got this room. And I was like, cool. And I didn't know which room was which. And then I went on the website and I got the sexy room. They're like, this is where you reconnect with the person you love. I had a fucking waterbed. <laughs> what, did you do? What, did you, what did you do in there? <laughs> I sexy role played with myself. I lied earlier. Call me grandpappy. <laughs> I was like, I'm the daddy. Yes, you are me. <laughs> oh, you let the dog in. Don't let the dog in. <sighs> Oh dear. So yeah, Gerald's busy popping Viagra upstairs, getting ready for sexy time, and he leads her upstairs, leaving the door open. Yeah. Now that I I couldn't engage with that. He's so certain that they're isolated that he leaves the door open. Is that what it is? Well, he's uh, like Chris just said, not thinking with his head. He's not thinking with his head. He probably doesn't. Not not that head. Oh come on. He's he's more all about the blue pill and the six pack. Yeah, so he's just like, let's get upstairs before this stuff wears off, kicks in. I don't know. I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. What? Nothing. Shut up, mate. <laughs> Come on. Uh, there is a really sweet moment. Again, everything that happens with Jessie in this whole period just makes you think that she's really sweet where she takes the label out of the slip so she's clearly bought it just for this weekend yeah. it's not something that she's had previously she's yeah. gone I'm going to make the effort yes. so. it's, an, it's a great because it's a spot on moment and obviously it pays off amazingly later in the film yeah it's not her usual stuff no so then the handcuffs uh, come out and Jesse quite rightly looks a little bit nervous yes this is what's so good about this section because it's to say that the dialogue was written by two men I thought it was fantastic at sort of skimming the layers of sexual politics within with gender politics, but also just with couples. Like, And it's important that you aren't quite sure how long they've been married. And then you find out in this scene, they've been together for 11 years and it seems like a, you know, a long amount of time. Mm. But when he says to her, she sees the real handcuffs and she's like, oh, I thought there were going to be. And he says, the others just break if you get going too hard. <laughs> so she, he knows that and she doesn't. And if you were into it, you'd be like, whoa, okay, brilliant. But she's like, oh, shit. And it's like, why does he know that? And you don't know that. He's done this before. You haven't done this before. So you get this sense of, again, the different places that mm. they're in. It's brilliant. Yeah, this whole bit is is really good. We're about to discover Gerald uh, takes his role play uh, very seriously. So he pushes her back on the bed. Jesse looks uncertain. We linger on the handcuffs being put on. And then... He does say at that point, just to sort of, just to make it clear that Gerald isn't just a monster. He does initially say, "Is that okay?" Yes. He does bother to check, um, 
And at this point, Jesse has noticed the Viagra on the yeah. counter. And that would make you worried, I think. She's starting to piece together at this point yeah. the fact that he isn't, like Chris says, thinking he's not really himself almost. Yeah. He's not thinking about her. For yes. sure. But she, he does, maybe it's just duty, maybe, to put her at ease. He does say, is she okay? She sees the Viagra on the side. But it's now that Gerald really gets his tunnel vision uh, on, <laughs> uh, about, uh, no pun intended, uh, about getting this sexy time going. Uh, so much so, he, he starts role-playing on his fucking own. <laughs> which is so awkward. It's like you say, it's such a big swing. Mm. And you've got to imagine that he doesn't care what her answer is. That's the thing. Or, or let's be friends with Gerald and think he he'll he's you have to be quite confident to do that sort of thing anyway. Um or confident with each other, maybe not like confident in the world, but maybe he's thinking, I'll help you out. So I'll just get started and then you will join me yeah. in this kind of thing. You'll pick up the baton and run. You, yeah. you'll, you'll get it. I and mean, we'll have a brilliant time. It's the thing. It's like, you know, it's it, it takes it takes more energy to get a, a, a ball rolling than it does to keep it rolling. Sure. So I'm going to, physics, baby. Yeah. So and physics. This is why I was flip-flopping all the time, which I loved it. I loved that it was making me feel like this because you could think, well, he's being kind to her because he, he does think she's into it, but he's like, it's hard for you to do this sort of thing. You're not quite as confident as I am, so I'll just... I'll lead, yeah. you follow. Yeah, but he doesn't start gently. He says, look what I found. Yeah. That's his opening gambit. Look what I found. So yeah. he's already an intruder yeah, in the I, bedroom. I, that, which I, I, the role play then didn't make sense to me because if he's discovered her, mm. isn't the role play, oh, I've put the handcuffs on you. So he's just found a woman. I imagine so. Yeah. Oh, I imagine like, you know, he's discovered her and she is for whatever reason. I guess it's sort of... <laughs> Weirdly, it foreshadows the rest of the film when yeah. another intruder does genuinely discover her there. Oh, I see. Okay. Because he's wandered into this room and she's handcuffed that to the bed. That makes it very complicated, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't know that at the time. But yeah, I mean, he's clearly got his own shit going on in his head. Uh, you can scream all you want. There's no one around for miles, which is also a nice little bit of plot info disguised yeah. in the role play. And then he's like, call for help. And she's not really getting into it. No. Uh, she needs a bit of motivation. He's like, no, do do a better. Yeah. No one very good. She's <laughs> yeah. like, and she really is half arsing it. Yes. Fair enough. She's not into it. She's, she's not like, into it. Help, help. And he's like, fucking do it properly. But it's just so awkward. <laughs> it's just so unbelievably <laughs> awkward. And this is where it starts to break down uh, because she's like, call for help. What are we trying to do here? I thought the point is to try and feel sexy. Yeah. And this is what this entire buildup has come to this question where it's a butting of heads. Yeah over what this is meant to be. Yes. And finally, she says, I don't like this. And then you get this killer line, which on the surface is just like, you know, it's just like, I've had enough. But really the choice of wording in this line is so perfect to completely destroy this idea that Gerald has built up, which is where she says, wipe that stupid grin off your face, uncuff me and stop calling yourself daddy. Oof. Yeah. It's the stupid grin of off course. your face. Yeah. Mm. And he's got no, he's got, well, he's got his pants on, but he's got no clothes on. So you'd feel really vulnerable, mm. really humiliated. 
She's, but she's in a very, I mean, she's very, very vulnerable as well, but she has the strength to call him stupid and demand that he uncover. Mm. Um, and obviously he's really hurt by all of this, but he doesn't do it. This is the, that's why he, he, you know, he's a baddie, he's a goodie, whatever, because they can have a discussion and they can have an argument, but he should, the minute she says, take these handcuffs off, he should do it. Mm. And he doesn't. Yeah, he says, what if I won't? Yeah. He actually yeah. verbalises that. He says, what if I won't? And the trouble is, it's good because it justifies his death, but he doesn't say it with a smile, as in you could think he's just misread his cue again and he's mm. like, oh, it's ultimate role play now because yeah. you've asked me something really clearly and I'm saying no. Isn't that brilliant? Mm. But he doesn't say it like that. Well, I think... I mean, I think at this point, she cuts through that. Even if he he says, what if I won't? But I think he is still playing at that point. I don't think it's a threat. I think, no, I, I thought he seemed a bit angry. No, I, I, read, I read it as a threat, especially because then she's like, you know, you find out that their relationship hasn't been good. She's like, you haven't touched me in months and now this is turning into a rape fantasy I never knew you have. Uncuff me. She says, what if I won't? Uh, he says, what if I won't? She says, you have to. And... We get a little bit of geography of the room. Like, I think he looks at the keys or she knows where the keys are. She says, get the keys mm. from the bathroom. And then he has a heart attack. Mm. Now, it is, I think it, it could be left unanswered as to whether he was going to uncuff her. I think this Gerald in this film was. Yeah. I yeah. think she was getting through to him. And I think for the rest of it to work, you have to believe that he was going to uncuff her yeah. and not actually rape his wife. Yeah. In that situation. Yeah. In the book, he is. Okay. So that's the big difference with the book. Okay. In the book, there's a, a paragraph which I haven't like, acquitted to memory because I, I don't ever want to read that book again because I remember <laughs> as a kid being quite horrified by it. But there is a, a, a moment where she says, her inner monologue says, I could see it in his eyes mm. that he was going to rape me mm. and then pass it off as misunderstanding mm. that this wasn't role play. And so Jesse kicks him in the balls in the book and the pain of where she kicks him causes him to have a heart attack and die. Wow. So that's where this is very different to the book. Because okay. like I say, I think this Gerald would have freed her. Yeah. So that's that was the bit where I stopped reading. Where he's trying to tug, <laughs> gonna ruin your holiday. tug down her panties and she boots him and it's just Eesh. too much for a seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so... um this is uh, Gerald dies she's trapped immediately realises she can't get the handcuffs and I did chuckle at this bit and I think it's intentionally meant to be funny where moments ago Gerald was kind of goading her into screaming for help and she wasn't oh, into yeah. it and now she's like help <laughs> yeah. help I was like funny yeah it is funny <laughs> that is funny uh, so everything's out of reach the phone the keys uh, she's pretty calm when the dog uh, reappears at the door, even though, now, you know I love dogs. I go on about how much I love dogs. If Satan came to earth in the form of a dog, it wouldn't look far off this dog. <laughs> it's horrible. It, the eyes are, it's it's yeah. got an air of menace about it, this Yeah, dog. well, that's the thing, because that makes her more of an angel, because when she's feeding this scary-ass dog, mm. the expensive, the Corby beef, you're like, who? I wouldn't go anywhere near that dog. Like I would call someone to mm. get away, like get, catch that dog. It's horrible. Alex, do you think Simon would eat you? Um, you mean if I was, yeah, if I was lying on the floor, yeah, having had, and he was pecky, my sexy role play time gone wrong, mm -hmm. and he was, um, 
Simon tends to only eat food that is being held by a child in a park. <laughs> so I think if a child was having a picnic with, with its family and was holding my semi-naked body, Simon at that point would want it. But Do not you get just in trouble off the, the parents to make the children cry? I'm just very, I, know, I know you wouldn't think it's a look at me, but I am very quick on my feet. <laughs> this is not true. Well, you can run faster than a whippet. <laughs> he never really runs at them. He's sort of like, because he's trying to be sly. So he sort of... He, sidesteps. He sort of sidesteps, <laughs> but he speeds up a bit. So the other day we were in Waterloo Park in Highgate. I was walking him and I could see the family. I, I, all I, I, I know exactly where food is in any park at any given time. Okay. And he, I can see the family in there and he's going towards them. And I'm like, Simon, stop, which immediately he speeds up. And so... <laughs> I get to them just as he's got there and he's got a handle on his harness for this exact purpose. And I just then speed him up even further. Right. So he carries on going past them. And the best thing about dogs is they go for it once and then they're just like, oh, I missed it, didn't I? So <laughs> okay. he won't go, but he doesn't turn around and go, I'll have another go. <laughs> yeah. It's like one or none. Okay. So I'll change the hypothetical. Would you want him to eat you? If it meant he survived. Saving on funeral Yeah, yeah. Costs. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I donate my body to... Simon. Simon. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's nice. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually, yeah. weirdly. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd rather he ate you two first. Yeah. Uh, we're, not, we're not around your house at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we're not all three going to die at the same time. I, I think we both... In your house. If we're spending Christmas Day together, we're, we're, we're only a few months more off having sexy roleplay time together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, tell me you didn't think that when you watched this movie. You're like, yeah. It's a matter of time. It's, the talk the talk is clicking. Are you flustered? <laughs> a little bit. I don't like where this has gone. So she, she throws a book at the dog. Uh, Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Oh, yeah. Which was being written in Mike Flanagan's first movie, Hush. And now it's here and now it's been made. Yep. Yep. Sorry, you both look completely confused by that. No, no, I thought no, that was a good just, little fact. It's just I know. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, I think we're all sort Oh, of, you've seen Hush. I think we're I all... I thought... <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? No, I haven't, but I knew oh. that. <laughs> now this is confusing. Oh, if we can't even get this podcast right, which we've been doing for two years, how's sexy roleplay going to work? <laughs> Stop talking about it. Gonna, it's never going to happen. We're going to be all over well, this shop. Well, a contract, so everybody knows. <laughs> I think yeah. right now we'll take a short break, <laughs> gather ourselves, and then continue afterwards. I need to step outside. <laughs> Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we're back and feeling a lot better. Vicky stepped outside. She's had a drink. <laughs> she hasn't. Right, here we go. Let's crack on with this. So, uh, yeah, the dog starts eating Gerald. Um, and Jesse has her first hallucination at this point uh, where he appears and he appears to be okay. Where do you think this hallucination comes from? Because it's very early on to be hallucinating in that she's not tired. She's not dehydrated. Yes. So this is, what is this? This hallucination is a reaction to... The dog being shocked to see her partner, husband being eaten by a dog. That's what the script says, because they do say, I'll be seeing your husband being eaten by a dog will send you into that sort of shock. So right. that, that's what I mm, took as like the a, reason. It's like a hysteria, I okay. think, she's yeah. suffering from. Okay, uh, so Gerald um, then starts talking to her, and we learn a little bit more about Gerald here. And I think this is a thing that I really wanted to talk about. I can't work out what Gerald is. Like, I, I, I in terms of... You know, the kind of person he was. So the whole start of it is devoted to him being like very sex motivated. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about this joke, which I'm not going to repeat here because it's a really freaking grim joke. And it's about her overhearing him being, in inverted commas, a lad with his guy friends and telling an appalling, like awful misogynistic joke. Mm -hmm. And she overhears him and she doesn't mention it. Yeah. But I don't, I couldn't quite work out what we were meant to take from Gerald. Um, at this point, and who Gerald is throughout this movie. And I guess it's quite difficult to know who Gerald is because Gerald at this point is Jessie. Like it's a, mm. a hallucination of her. Yeah. But what she's remembering about it, I can never really get a handle on whether he was a terrible person throughout mm. or not. It's a good point. I mean, I th- so he's not saying anything she doesn't already know. So you know it's not really Gerald in that way. Like mm. it's a manifestation of her own memories And the wider point is that she doesn't say anything and she keeps secrets and she knows she's been keeping secrets from him. But he's the sort of person that she feels she can't share her biggest secret with. They tried to button it at the end and I didn't like it. She's like, I married him for the comfort. He's meant to represent a comfortable life Mm. rather than a happy life necessarily because he wasn't the right man for her in that way that she couldn't unburden herself. Yeah, I agree. It's hard to know. Is he is he a bad one or not, basically? I, I don't think you are supposed to know, though, because she isn't a reliable narrator because throughout this film, she's going through all these different emotions of pain and fear and grief. And I think that's changing um, her her feelings about him as, as this. Yeah, sort of, I agree. This continues. I think she's quite conflicted about how she feels about him. And um, so, yeah, I don't think you are supposed to know exactly the person he was. I think it's clear that he's, this- he's forthright. And he takes what he wants and he knows what he wants and she knows that about him. So that's um, 
symbolize it's made clear with the sex game but also when he's like i'll make a joke like that because it's what it takes to get on with these people and if you can't handle that that's your problem sort of thing so it's this is the point i love i loved it when he was talking to her and i knew that it was a stephen king film so it was going to get like all spooky and dark but i really just wanted the two of them and to do like a two-hander about marriage and the secrets you keep or a long-term relationship and how you don't say what you want and some people say too much and you do this little dance and especially around sex if people have been together a long time maybe the person you can say the least to is the person that you should be saying the most to he clearly doesn't have that problem but he obviously has a problem in connecting with her on an emotional level which we take from her uh inability to unburden herself of her big secret maybe there's something missing in him and that that's such like a rich area to do like a weird little play about um, about the sort of the, the weird pockets you fall into in a relationship like that. So, yeah. OK. So by the end, I think it is just a marriage of two people who probably weren't suited to each other and had fallen out of love for justified reasons. And I think it's clear at the end they don't vilify Gerald when it's just like they kept his company keeps everything out of the papers. There's no sort of repercussions about, yeah. you know, him like... Uh, the, the role play gone wrong or and handcuffing also, when, her to the bed, which is why I think floor, he wasn't ever going to do it. She, but she's really distraught, isn't she? When he's, he's mm. dead, she's not like, fuck you, actually. You you know, in, in, before the shock of her situation mm. dawns on her, she really, she seems like she really loves him. Mm. So we, I'd like him for that because she's a nice person. She feeds dogs. Mm. She's really sweet. I wondered if, when you know what's coming up later, is her freaking out about him being dead on the floor less about this lovely husband that she loved to bits, he's dead, and more that her whole personality is that she's the keeper of secrets. That's her whole thing, her whole life. And if he doesn't get up off the floor, everyone will find out what they've been doing. And because she's the keeper of secrets, she can't have that. Mm. Because she doesn't see how it's going to go. Like, she doesn't, if you were in that situation, you wouldn't think, I'm here till I die. You, your brain just wouldn't process it that quickly. So all she's thinking is, we're going to get found out unless you get up. Which is why she fakes amnesia at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all go, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Okay, good. Um. So, I mean, what feeds into what you were just saying, uh, you know, Jesse too, let's call her, appears and talks about Gerald and talks about how everybody's got a little corner somewhere. Gerald basically gave you a glimpse of his... So again, Gerald, you know, I guess. Yeah, but in a in a healthy relationship, you're like, oh great, mm. that's that's fun. Yeah, why not? Okay, so uh, Jesse too alludes early on to something that happened in Jesse's past when she says he put you in handcuffs long before Gerald did. Uh, anyway, before we find out what that means, uh, Jesse does find some inner strength and MacGyver's the shit out of the situation, making a straw out of some paper to drink water. <laughs> and we get our first uh, sight of a certain someone in a classic Mike Flanagan moment where there's a figure in the corner. I knew he was going to be there, so I saw him this time, but I don't think the first time the camera pans across the room, I actually noticed he was there until Jesse sees him. The Moonlight Man, who has an interesting collection in his man purse, jewellery, bones, <laughs> and I think I saw an ear in there. Also, I saw teeth as well. Mm. Yeah. Everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> So obviously the Moonlight Man is played by a Carol Strukian, who was Grandpa Flick in last week's Doctor yeah. Sleep and most famously at Lurch from the Adams Family. At this point, she thinks the Moonlight Man is a hallucination and Gerald reappears, not to put her mind at ease, uh, but by saying a woman alone in the dark screams, who knows what might answer. Sure. I mean, I, I, I thought he was a hallucination. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. 
I can't remember what I thought. I think you. But I think she's probably... having hallucinations, and now we've got a monster in front of us. Yeah. There's no way I'm thinking yeah. that's a, that's a person. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, mm. I, I, I do you know what I think? Sorry, I think because I, I've, this is the second time I've watched it. I knew, but I think the first time I watched it, which is why this is one of those movies that sadly isn't as good on repeat viewings. Works brilliantly the first time because it's coming back to me now because the end scene in the courtroom was like. What the fuck? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was a hallucination too. A hallucination too. Um, he, uh, <laughs> Gerald says, if he wants to put his cold, dirty hand on your soft white flesh. But then. I was just glad he said flesh because I thought he was going to say something else. I was like, I'm not ready say? for that. I just thought he was going to use a descriptive term oh. for her parts. Mm. And I wasn't ready <laughs> for it to go there. <laughs> I don't know why that would upset me and nothing else did. But I was like, oh my God. Like, don't say it. Please don't say it. Right, let's get into this bit then, because Gerald calls her mouse. Not a term Gerald would have ever used, but obviously Gerald is a figment of Jesse right now. And we flash back to the most upsetting scene. That's making me want to cry. In the whole film. <laughs> it's just the worst thing. It's, I mean, I struggled to watch this. You know, we talked about Doctor Sleep last week and you were like, oh, I can't believe you didn't have a real problem with the child death in that movie. And I was like, I don't know why. This, yeah. this is a problem for me. It's horrendous. It's, um, I mean, it's horrendous because it is brilliantly done. Yeah. Uh, and all the horror comes from just how well it's filmed it's acted um by elliot from et (laughs) (laughs) henry thomas i mean we should mention henry thomas at this point just because uh, from playing jack torrance i know i didn't like that scene in in dr sleep but he's great in that from the haunting of hell house from this i mean the guy is an incredible actor Mm. And apart from obviously Elliot in ET, I can only think of. I remember he did he, he have a brief role in Gangs of New York. I think yeah, he was in yeah. that for a, a one hot minute. Was it Legends of the Fall. He was in as well. Mm. He, he, he's had he's had an okay career, but mm. obviously not not since ET does he hit those heights. But yeah. yeah, he's Mr. Horror now, isn't he? Mr. Flanagan and Mr. Horror. He is. He's one of Flanagan's players. Uh, so we realise very quickly why Jesse did not like Gerald calling himself Daddy. She is abused by her father. Um, tell me what you made of this scene, first of all, Victoria, and I'll tell you what I made, and then Chris can tell me what he thought. So uh, I just, so I, I said this to you the other week, so I call one of my children Mouse, and I can never, ever, ever do it again because it's the <laughs> sweetest thing. Um, and it's just, it, he's just, it's just pure evil. It's just evil. Like people, you lose your mind with uh, child abuse. You're like, kill him, string them up. And you're like a, re- a reasonable thinking person doesn't think like that. And then you watch that. You're like, kill him. <laughs> like bloodlust. Like you're so, you are the distillation of evil. Like you've ruined her life. Mm. I mean, it's not so much, it's, uh, Jesse too says it to her. It's not so much the abuse. It's what comes afterwards. And again, mm. to have been written by men and, and just to understand that the, uh, mental gymnastics that Jesse Wan does. She's like, he, he didn't even really touch me. It's not really the worst thing that ever happened. It's making me feel sick saying this. It's not even the worst thing that ever happened. My dress was too short. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I know. And it's the bit where you realize, because she says that she goes, it's, it's, it, it, it's not the worst thing that ever happened. He didn't, he didn't actually touch me. Yeah. Or words that he says to her in yeah. the bedroom. She's oh, she's just parroting what he said. It's not even a thought it's that not, she's yeah. had herself. Yeah, and those things that you think we're like, well, okay, so my so if my dress wasn't that short, mm. that wouldn't have happened, which is obviously bullshit. But it's what everybody does, and it's what everybody thinks, and so that's why she's internalized all of that. 
Um, it's the manipulation. It's it's the reverse psychology. So during the eclipse, when he gets her, I mean, it starts off bad where he's like, you look amazing. You look like a proper young woman. Because he can't admit to himself that she's a child. That's mm. the other thing. And he, correct, he keeps correcting himself and saying, like, rather than saying she's a little girl, sorry, young woman, mm. evil. And then he suggests that she's too big to sit on a poor daddy's lap and yeah. then forces her to go, no. I'm not too big. Makes her, makes her do it. Makes yeah. her be the one to go, no, I'll I'll do that, you know. And he's like, sure. And then again, the language they choose in the scene is so good because she goes, yeppers. And it's like <laughs> such a childish word to use just before what happens, happens. And then obviously he tells her to just keep watching the eclipse while he buzzes himself. And her terrible justification, as you said afterwards, is that he never touched her, so it's not that bad. Um, we're back in the room before we get to the bedroom sequence. Um, we're back in, well, sorry, when the flashback sequence in the be- in her childhood bedroom, because uh, she wakes up from a flashback and things are grim. Flies, dried blood, cramps in her hands. Uh, it looks like she's wet herself. Yeah, which she would. Yeah. So I'm glad they did that because you, all the while you're thinking, when is that going to happen? Yeah, do, yeah. And you can't shy away from it, pretend it wouldn't happen. Mm. Yeah, but they don't linger on it or anything. So no, it's, it's just, just like, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's nasty. Uh, and you can see in this moment why that role would have been a tough sell to a lot of actors. Because <laughs> yeah. I think it takes, uh, you know, you have to really believe in, I want to do this. Um, and her, her hallucination self, Jesse too, is like you married into the only relationship you knew. And if it wasn't already bad, fucking hell. The talks about the father and how, uh, as a girl, she'd had her period a month before, and maybe that's what got him going. He smelled the blood and did what dogs do. Yeah. Fucking hell. (laughs) I know it's just too much. It really is. But it's really good. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't just mention it if it was if it if it wasn't important and it wasn't worth acknowledging because of how good it is. Yeah. In its horror. Yeah. Then I just gloss over it. But lines like that and the fact that they're said and you're just like, yeah, because the horror of the scene with the eclipse when the the mum and, and Jesse don't have a good relationship. But mm. I thought because you knew the abuse there was an abuse happening, something wasn't quite right. So then when the mum is like, well, fuck it, we're going to go out on the boat without you. I was like, oh, that's terrible because he's been abusing you for years and now you're trapped in the house with him. And so my dawning realisation that it's the first time. So she does sit on his. I thought he, he was going like, to sit on my lap and she's like, I'm not doing it. You know, this is how it always goes kind of thing. But she's like, yeah, sure, because it's never happened before. Mm. Um, it's just so awful. Mm. Um, and then obviously we're back in uh, the bedroom where he comes in to convince uh, young Jesse. Uh, of why it it should never be spoken about, but again, he's like, I think we should tell mom. Yeah, this is the worst. This is the worst thing anyone's ever done mm. in the history of anything. I think we should tell mom. She won't think it's your fault. Well, she might. Awful. It makes her beg. Mm? It's just mm. beyond. Because also, there's you know, it's very hard to come back from an incident of sexual abuse. But it must be possible. I don't know. It must be possible. If he was like, oh, my God, I hand myself into the police. I apologise. I do whatever it takes, whatever. I don't think they'd have a relationship, but it must be possible. But this is what ruins her life. Mm. It is because she now has to keep this massive secret forever. And she's separated from her family forever. Mm. Yeah. Like you say, she begs him not to tell mum. And when he says, OK, she ends up thanking him. <laughs> she She thanks him. And... Like, what's his excuse? I don't know what came over me. Maybe it was the eclipse. Yeah. Thank God we'll never see another one. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. 
So that's that scene dealt with. Yeah, the apart. I've used just the you know the bit. No, it's all right. It'll come no, up go later. On. It's just the bit it's just, when she talks later about being separated from her family. There's an amazing shot when she's um, she leaves the family dinner table. Oh. And, and she looks mates. at her mum and her mum knows. Yeah. yeah, that's so dark. It is, isn't it? Yes, but she doesn't say anything. No, she doesn't. Because also, I'm not excusing that mum, but if it never happened again, so you'd be like, okay, that was unfortunate, but if it never happened again, you'd start to think as the mum, maybe it never happened and you could just live your life and you could swallow that and and, re- and understand you didn't let her down as, you, as her mum because did it really happen kind of thing. Mm. Oh, it's so bad. It is. Um... So let's get back to the present then. Uh, she comes around again and she thinks the the moonlight man is licking her. But it's not. It's the dog which she boots in the face. <laughs> oh, is it best scene? Just, it, you know, best just, scene for the bits? I just enjoyed it because they fuck around with, she's an angel, she's an angel, she feeds the dog. You, and then when Gerald leaves the door open, like the dog, you know, the dog will save you because you're a good person. The dog is not going to save you. The dog is going to eat you like it eats everything because it does what dogs do. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I don't buy this though, where Gerald appears and is like, well, of course, you're fresher meat. I'm like, it's been a day. <laughs> Yeah. No dog is like that picky. It's like that corpse on the floor is still good after a day. That's true. So demon- it's just an evil dog. Unnecessarily demonizing the dog. <laughs> Terrible decision. Um, so Jessie works out how to free herself, and we get uh, the second Flanagan hand scene, a yeah. Flanagan hand in <laughs> uh, in two weeks. It's uh, it's worse than Doctor Sleep, though. It's so much worse. Mm. Dig loving. Is that what it's called? Mm. Isn't that gross? <laughs> Why does it have a name? Like, how often has it happened if Flanagan keeps doing it? <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to make it a thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's rare that I have to cover my eyes in I films. I didn't watch it. And uh, I watched a lot of it and then I had to, I had to look away because it's, it's a bit like we were talking about in Misery. It's It's when a movie is based in reality and it hasn't been full of gore up until this point that an act of violence like this is so much more affecting. Yeah, yeah. It was it was remarkable in that in that, in that cinema in Texas, the Alamo Draft House. They, you know, you have food and drink in there as well. They bring you bring you wine to your table and what have you. And um, in this scene, there were a lot of people full on screaming, and I heard at least two glasses smash while this was happening. <laughs> wow. It was so, it felt like such a dramatic moment. I felt like I was really witnessing something unbelievable. Not that I was witnessing it because my eyes were closed and yeah. maybe my hearing was a bit better at the time. But yeah, it was having, people were having physical reactions to that in the cinema. Goes on for a long time. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever watched it? No, we've established this. <laughs> like, I've shut my eyes for that scene that... So uh, Mike Flanagan on that scene says when he was I haven't read this scene in Gerald's game, the book, but he says when he read it for the first time, I had to put the book down. It turned my stomach just reading it visually. I don't think we even took it as far as it was taken in the book. I think the hand slash glove just came completely off. For us, we had to kind of flop back down afterwards because it was just too grisly. I heard people say, oh, my God, it's even worse in the film than described in the book. I don't think it actually is. Okay. So he doesn't think it's as bad as the book. Did you notice when she, because we, the, you know, he's not shy about talking about periods and period blood. When she gets free, she wraps up her hand. She uses a sanitary pad. Mm, yeah. 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 I thought, that, I thought that was good. So she is free, but the Moonlight Man is coming back in probably one of the most pure 
sort of horror sequences in this where the dog runs off and you're aware something's coming then you just see him standing at the end of the corridor she gives him her wedding ring and runs off at this point still believing he's a hallucination mm. so she gives a hallucination her wedding ring gets in the car crashes the car gets out of the car some people see her i don't know why but that little Hi, she gives before mm. she collapses. Really, and my heart was like, it was, it just really got to me. Yeah. Yeah. Relief. So she's back in the real world. Things are fine. Gerald's company keep the deaths out of the paper. She sets up a, a foundation for girls and boys who have been through what she has, but she keeps having these nightmarish visions of the Moonlight Man. Then she sees the paper. Raymond Chaubert, the so-called crypt keeper, is a serial killer who digs up corpses and steals from them jewellery and body parts. He's murdered his sister and her husband. He's killed a dozen people. He is agromegaly, uh, which is uh, the condition that makes him look the way he does. He eats the faces of male corpses. <clears throat> so I read this mm. in a description of this character, and it says he eats the faces of male corpses, uh, which is apparently why he didn't harm Jesse in the house and also why Gerald's face is yeah. disfigured. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. I hated this bit. I really hate it. Her confronting him in the courtroom or her realising... The whole post script, the whole of it. Why? I, I think it's it's long, um, I don't like the idea that just anyone can set up a foundation and talk to traumatised <laughs> children. Just because you've been through it doesn't necessarily qualify you as a counsellor. Um, but also I think they Stephen King is making a monster out of someone who just has an enlarged pituitary gland and he's using physical difference and disability to do a quick shorthand of equals monster. So Raymond Joubert is meant to have eaten his sister because he's got a big gland. Like, no. So unless it, I'm wrong and unless having this condition turns you into a fucking monster murderer, then fine. But otherwise, what it does, it gives you long arms. Having long arms doesn't make you a face-eating murderer, mm. does it, Stephen King? I think we're a bit past that now. I think it's a bit of its time. That's interesting. That's interesting. I hadn't actually picked up on that, but you're absolutely mm. right. If he has made that... big, I mean, because it could just be a face-eating murderer, yeah. but to then give him that condition is purely for the visual. Yeah, and... Being that I saw this with a group of people, you could feel the audience turning on the film during oh, the okay. sequence. Yeah, interesting. Uh, everyone had the feeling that you had. I had it as well. Right. I, I think. Um. I think it's a real problem. I think. Um. I really wish this film ended ten minutes earlier. That's interesting. I remember from the ending, just like I said earlier, I forgot. I forgot this, but realizing he's real, uh, yeah. and that moment. I sort of I understand what they wanted to do with the payoff for Jesse, where she approaches him in the court and she sees uh, her father and she sees Gerald and she's like, "You're so much smaller than I remember," which yeah. is a repetition of the line uh, when she's a child and she sees the house and she says, "It's so much smaller than I remember," and it's sort of she's come full circle and she's got that closure. But as I said in my, I was being flippant in the synopsis, but it is her sort of like shouting at you know. Uh, not very well person yeah. in a courtroom. <laughs> yeah. And sort of like, they, were, they wouldn't let her in. You're not allowed to just walk into a trial. I know, she's ignoring all court etiquette, yeah. bounding down Excuse the aisle. Excuse me, mm. can I say something? No, um, I'm I'm just not into it. I just think as well, script wise, you know, why shouldn't if let's just take for one minute the fact that having this big gland makes you eat people. Mm. He should eat women. 
And it should be the strength that she's gathered from her experience makes her think he's a hallucination and says no to him. And he's like, oh, shit. No one's ever said no to me because they're already dead by the time I get here or I kill them. Mm. So because she gets strength from what she's been through is how she defeats the Moonlight Man kind of thing. But he was never going to touch her anyway. So big deal. Mm. It's a bit cruel, but that's how I feel. Mm. Right then. Um, Any more for any more? No. Okay, then let's do the bits. Chris, best scene. Uh, the, The scene I haven't seen. It sounds amazing. It sounds absolutely terrific, the digloving. Victoria? So, I, again, I've said it, but um, I, the sliding shot when she's dragged away from the family table, like the, everyone in that scene is amazing at showing the dynamic in that family. But my favourite scene is the the moralising on both sides of the argument in the first sort of 10 minutes before Gerald dies, mm. where they're having an argument about this sex game and I see her point, I see his point, I see his point, I see her point. I think he's bad. I think she's she's failed in the marriage by not telling as much as she should. And this sex game could have done its job kind of thing. Like I was up and down all the time with it and that's, um, I, I just, it was so much fun. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's more than a scene, but I have picked everything in the film up until Gerald's death <laughs> because uh, I just, I, I love the setup. And I think if I had to sort of explain why, it's because that's the part of the movie that I think is most relatable to yeah. anyone in a relationship. You know, even if you're not planning on going away to a dirty weekend to have a sex game to try and solve everything, you understand when a relationship has hit that point and that yeah. sort of dynamic and how you fix that. Uh, and, you know, coming at the same situation from different angles. I just think it's really, really good. Because if he'd not said daddy, she might have done it. Not that that would have been a good thing, but if you're in that situation... You definitely would think, right, I'm not into this. And I'm I'm safe, but I'm just not into it. But I'll tell you what, let's just see what happens kind of thing. But he goes too far. And if he'd just not said that one word, mm. it would have been different. But he didn't know not to say that because she never said. Yeah. All right, MVW, Vicky. Uh, a big shout out to Henry Thomas because I started laughing when he's coercing his daughter into silence, making it her decision. I was so horrified. I was laughing because I was so nervous and disgusted and appalled and crying. <laughs> so I was just like cry laughing. Uh, but obviously, Carla Gugino, because she gets to do two versions of herself and it's always so much fun, like when you see an actor's range where she's just so distraught and frail and all the rest of it. And then Sassy Jessie's awesome. Mm. So it's just, yeah, her for that. Chris, MVW, most valuable, whatever. So last week, even though I didn't like Dr. Sleep, I feel like I didn't give Mike Flanagan enough credit for pulling off the feat of making a sequel to both the book and the film and doing as good a job as I think he could have. So um, I'm giving him the shout this week as well because it does sound like this was an almost impossible book to adapt. Um, and I think it was a really clever idea to to bring Gerald back and have him throughout the film. That's the clever thing that they came up with that makes the film work, I think. Uh, there's another thing I wish they changed, but I'll get to that. But yeah, I want to give Flanagan a shout out because he's doing amazing things in horror. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to join... I mean, it's, it's difficult. It's Carla Gugino because she is fantastic and it's all Mike Flanagan. So I'm just going to have both. Okay. I'm going to have both this week because they're both brilliant and it is a fantastic uh, achievement what they've done. And as he said at the start, he believes this is as much her movie as his movie. So they both can have it. Uh, change then, Chris. So I feel like I'm saying um, the same thing I said regarding uh, The Hunger Games a couple of weeks ago, where I feel like kids killing kids is horror enough that we don't need CGI wolves introduced at the end of the film. And I think the same principle here, 
um, <clears throat> holds true because freeing herself from the horror of the situation she's in combined with confronting the trauma of her past is enough. And I don't think the story needs the Crypt Keeper element. Um, so I think you either get rid of Moonlight Man or just make it more ambiguous because I really don't like the postscript and I don't think it works. Um, so, yeah, I would just take that. I would have removed that element altogether, to mm. be honest. I don't know if it works better in the book. I, I can't remember from my skim read, but I don't think it works in the film. Also, I love Elliot and I love um, Bring It On Home to me by Sam Cooke is my favourite song by my favourite singer. And they've they've almost ruined Elliot <laughs> and Sam Cook for I me. Agree with the you. bastards. I know. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What's your change, Vicky? So if we're gonna keep the postscripts, then her big moment, Jesse's big moment, needs to be with her actual dad. So he should be a horrible old man and still be Henry Thomas. And maybe he's still a powerful lawyer, or maybe he's not. Maybe he's just a disgusting old man. Or maybe he's with the mum still, or maybe he's not. Maybe he's got a new family and he's got new kids and new victims and all the rest of it. And she goes to see him and she says to him, you're so much smaller than I remember and walks off, obviously. Mm. Yeah. I mean, based on uh, I, based on all the conversations about that postscript, yeah, I think change that. I, I, I think, you know, you, you, you know, the Crypt Keeper is not okay, mm. as is in this movie. Yeah. So either one of your ideas will do me. I'll borrow one. <laughs> yeah. Right then. That is Misery versus Gerald's Game. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! So, these were your choices, Chris. Yeah. Who wants to go first? Let's start with Vicky. Okay, so, I did really enjoy Gerald's game. And more than I thought I would, actually. I thought it was just going to be like a sort... I mean, there's nothing wrong with a, a saucy thriller, but I didn't expect the um, the relationship drama that I got um, and the sexual politics of it. And it did challenge me and my perception of my own value system. If you, it's, you know, you're seeing a lot of things that you recognise there and then you don't. <laughs> but but there's something in it that was a real mirror. Um, and Henry Thomas, that has upset me so much. So, so, so much. Mm -hmm. But when you boil it down... Well, in Gerald's game, you're waiting for a woman in a weakened state to remember something in order to get your gory set piece. She just, you know, you can move those sort of structural blocks around a little bit if you wanted to. And the Mr. Moon Man Moonlight thing, as we said, I really didn't like. In Misery, someone's in bed figuring out how to escape rather than relying on remembrances. Um, and obviously you've got Annie Wilkes as a villain, which is she's pretty much untouchable. So she puts it over the line. Mm. So Misery. Alex. Um, do you know what? It was, uh, it was close. It was close. And actually, for the first time in a long time, talking about uh, this movie, these movies, uh, I've actually changed my answer. Because I do, I, I, I'll tell you what I had originally. Mm. So I, I do love Gerald's Game. I think it's great. Uh, I do not think there is anything better in either of these movies than Kathy Bates' performances at Annie Wilkes in Misery. Um, that said, of watching these films back to back in in. 2021 and for the second time with both of them I did feel that Gerald's game got under my skin a lot more and I certainly of the two have thought about it more after watching it but I mean it's not Flanagan's fault it's King's fault if 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 they have just sort of gone we'll have someone with a, an affliction a physical affliction that is our villain and that's enough because they look different yeah then that's that is, that uh, is, is the illness not affecting his brain then? I don't know. It's not clear to me from watching it that that was the case, mm. but maybe I missed something. But they're like, he ate his sister. Oh, okay, why? Mm. You know, based on that, I don't know that I can give it to Gerald's Game anymore because it's a kind of piss-poor ending <laughs> to that movie. So, uh, you know, 
I'm I'm gonna go back from I was gonna go Gerald's game because I I enjoyed it more this time, but I don't think I can, so I'm I'm going misery, which makes misery the winner. Chris, what would you have gone for anyway? Yeah, well I'll say the same that I said in my review of Gerald's game. I think Gerald's game is a great film until it stops being a great film and then it's not a great film anymore. Um, and Misery is just a great film. Mm. I'm going for Misery. They pay you for that. <laughs> yeah, that I reworded it. I reworded it. <laughs> oh, yeah, things simple. were easier back in the day, right? <laughs> right then, there we go. Misery is the winner. Congratulations. Let's look ahead. V, what was your clue on Monday? Uh, creature discomforts. And what movies are we doing as King versus King continues? Uh, Chris, from 1983, you're watching Cujo, and Alex from 1989, you're watching Pet Cemetery. They are both available on Amazon. Hey! Get me! Very good. Someone. Very good. good. That, that was Thank good. you. <laughs> well done. Well done. So that is Cujo versus Pet Cemetery, both available on Amazon. That is our pairing for this week, which makes that your homework for the weekend. Uh, very quickly, if you haven't already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at ClashPod. Back on Monday, talking Cujo. Have a great weekend. Bye bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creative Network.